0: Welcome to the Empowered Podcast. I'm your host, Helena Knapik, and this podcast aims to give mentoring and career advice to women in the Australian public service and beyond. In today's discussion with Anna Cronin, we discuss what you can do to make yourself stand out in the job, the benefits of enjoying what you do, and flexible working arrangements. Anna Cronin, thank you so much for being here with me today. Welcome to the Empowered Podcast.
1: Thank you very much.
0: One of the first things we like to get to know our guests, so I want to get an understanding as to um, what you studied, where you studied, how you got started in your career, and where you've come to. Well, thanks, Helena, for
1: inviting me to participate. Uh, I studied economics at ANU uh, a long time ago, uh, partly prompted by an interest in economics, and, but partly prompted also by vocational reasons. My father was an economist. I saw that, I had evidence before my eyes that you could earn a reasonable living and have an interesting job if you were an economist, whatever that meant. So as a result, I embarked on uh, my economics degree at ANU. Having been to an all-girls school, uh, studying within almost entirely men was a bit of a surprise um, and something I had to get used to. And... Uh, initially, some of the blokes were patronising, perhaps, uh, and a little sneery even about a girl doing economics, um, and that just made me uh, even more determined to do well. And I learnt the satisfaction of beating most of them um, in my uh, in my exam results um, early on, and I enjoyed <laughs> doing that. So that, that was a big motivator. Yeah, well.
0: <laughs> and then so once you started to receive well, good results in economics, and um, what was your next steps after university?
1: Well, I'd already started working pre-uni um, at the Bureau of Agricultural Economics um, as a research assistant, and that was a great training because it was pretty much all statistics, and I loved doing that. Uh, and so in the holidays, I worked back at the BAE, and when I finished my degree, I returned there as an economist. Um I got bored easily though, so I moved to what is now the Productivity Commission, and then to the Economic Planning Advisory Council. Um, the impact has since been absorbed into the Productivity Commission. So um, I started working um, as an economist pretty much straight out of uni. Uh, I did a lot of applied e- economics and stats at uni, as well as the core economics units. And so I found that really interesting work. Uh, I did a lot of there was a lot of variety in the work I did in my early years and I learned a huge amount. I was really lucky to work with, with some great men and they were all men, um, some great men who taught me a lot and mentored taught me uh, in that period so uh, I was very lucky.
0: Yeah and so what was your day-to-day like when you were first starting as an economist? So what was the sort of like Early types of works or, or modeling that you were doing when you were starting your career. Well, obviously
1: being very junior, I worked as uh, supporting a team of, of people who were more experienced and and, and more skilled than me. So um, you learn from the bottom. You know, you start doing the basic data sets and and uh, statistical analysis. I then started writing, and my staff uh, would love to hear this, but I used to get all my work scribbled on and and have to rewrite it and. Uh, <laughs> Now I do, I do the same to others, but I, I learnt so much about really clear expression. I also learnt how important and valuable it is to be able to write well, and it takes years of someone scribbling on your work for you to be able to get there, to be honest. Uh, years of track changes, and um, but you learn a lot. I often used to think, why has, has he, and as I said, it was always a he, why has he changed that? And then I'd think, oh, yes, I can see why. That's a much better way of explaining it. So you learn a lot by practising, pretty much, practising your writing skills. And if you can develop an ability to explain complex issues simply and in plain English, I think that's a really valuable learning. It's something that uh, I think I've been able to take to the rest of my career.
0: And I think you're describing something that everybody really experiences. Like I've definitely had experiences where my work has been Scribble it all over, and then sometimes it's quite frustrating because you think that you're saying the same thing, but in a different way. But then actually, you sort of see the merit in the fact that you know there are simpler, better ways to say certain things. So I think that's a very common experience well, as I well. I think also,
1: Helena, you know, everyone has idiosyncrasies. I mean, I have a few. I don't like splitting infinitives, and I'm a apost- uh, and I'm an apostrophe Nazi. But um, <laughs> so look, sometimes we're imposing our own uh, standards or style on others, but. Um, most of the time I certainly found that in, in terms of explaining economic concepts and trying to make sure I covered all of the, the various factors, um, having my work um, edited uh, by people who knew more than me was was great. It was a great learning experience.
0: Absolutely. And I think that can also travel across from various different industries, so not necessarily just economics, but even in terms of, like, communications or in law or simplifying and, and being able to communicate well can
1: Oh, yeah. Helen! I think any, anywhere where you, where you're relying on written communications, it's it's vital. I mean, I've worked in departments where um, the 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 uh, usual skill set is law or, or even humanities, um, and the ability to write well makes people really stand out. I think. I Absolutely. think it's very important. When I say writing well, I don't mean writing well in a sort of stylized Jane Austen sort of way. I mean it's really about getting your point across clearly and simply and in a self-evident sort of way.
0: And so what was your experience after? So you were in the um, Department of Agriculture for a while, is that correct? And then Productivity Commission, and what did you do after the Productivity Commission? Um, after that, I worked
1: in federal politics as an advisor to um, federal politicians, including John Houston when he was leader of the opposition, and that was certainly an a, a, a interesting period. And, again, I learned a, a huge amount from that. Um,
0: How was that transition from going from a, a government department to working for a minister? Well, I
1: went to... I mean, it was quite normal in Canberra in mm. those days that under the MOPS Act, the Member of Parliament Staff Act, if you were a public servant at a certain level, you could go into Parliament House and work for a politician for a couple of years, get some experience, and then go back to your, to your job. Um, these days, there's... Um, there's these departmental liaison officers do do similar sorts of roles, but the, the job I did was uh, was not a de- departmental li- liaison officer because it was in opposition, um, and uh, so that was that was a common practice in Canberra that you would do that for a couple of years to understand how Parliament worked, how committees worked, and so on. I ended up doing it for a bit longer than that, and ultimately coming down to Victoria and then working for um, Jeff Kennett when he was premier. Uh, so I sort of stayed in that world for a bit, possibly a bit too long sometimes, I think, but but I stayed in that world for, for a bit um, and I worked for, for Geoffrey initially as his uh, number two advisor and then as his chief of staff for the last three or four years. And in that period, again, it was just an amazing learning experience, seeing a lot of reform happening all at once, seeing how those issues were managed, learning lessons of success and lessons where we, we perhaps could have done better. In terms of explaining uh, explaining reasons for action, reasons for reform, um, but b- basically being part of a can-do reformist government uh, was we, certainly quite an exciting part of my career.
0: Absolutely, that sounds very exciting. And so, after the um, after working in Parliament, so what was the next steps after that?
1: Uh, well, I I'm think... trying to get
0: to here, so oh, like, oh, what happened I'm in okay. between? Well, let's, <laughs> let's, let's do let's the history. In CV. <laughs> I
1: think. Um, so, so after the Victorian government, um, just, uh, the Victorian electorate decided they'd had enough of, of that, that approach. I went back to Canberra and uh, I had to do some some family issues, deal with some family issues for a while. I ran the National Farmers Federation for five years uh, in the early two thousands, which again was a, a great experience. Um, it was great understanding issues from a farmer's perspective working with them to get better outcomes in terms of environmental legislation and regulation in particular, but also working on a whole gamut of issues from trade to tax to um, drought policy issues and so on. Um, then I moved to Perth and I was uh, senior, a senior bureaucrat in the Department of State Development where I uh, revamped the approvals processes for big big mining and oil and gas projects in Western Australia, I did that for a couple of years. Uh, returning to Melbourne in 2011, uh, and I started working as part of the last coalition government, um, working uh, initially for for Minister Lovell and then for the Premier Denis Napthine um, for about uh, probably uh, about 14 months or so. And I was appointed to the Victorian Competition and Efficiency Commission about six months before the last election and. Um, I stayed, at, stayed uh, here at VCA, um, and then the new government came in uh, and rebooted the whole of that, that operation and appointed me as Commissioner for Better Regulation. And a couple of months ago, I was also appointed as the Red Tech Commissioner. So that's it
0: in a nutshell. It's a pretty good nutshell. So when you were first starting your career, did you see yourself getting to a position like this? Was this something that you had... Um plan so was it in your mind that you wanted to be a commissioner or a person sorry who is a decision maker
1: oh look I think I saw um I saw role models of jobs in the public service in Canberra and I envisaged that I would you know over time move into a senior role in a department you know once I got a lot of experience and and, um, obtained the skills necessary to do that um I'm not sure that I saw myself out of Canberra at that stage, probably, um, but uh, I think um, in terms of careers, I think often, uh, and you learn this when you work in politics, because election results are hard to predict, and your job can depend on, on an election results. so often it's very hard to do planning, it's it's very hard to be definitive about that sort of thing. I guess I always hoped that I'd have a, a job which uh, where I felt I could make a difference, where I was playing to my strengths, probably my uh, my background and uh, my ability to sort of coordinate a number of things at once and understand the processes of government and so on. I guess I always thought that it would be good to have a rewarding job in that sort of area and, and I'm very lucky because that's the way it's turned out.
0: And if other people were thinking that they would like to be in a similar position as you one day, what sort of... um what sort of steps could they take or decisions could they make to try and progress their career?
1: Well, I guess um, if you want to get into a role where you want to have some influence over something like regulatory reform, which is the role I'm in now, then um, you need to get a whole lot of different experiences across different departments. I think that would be really, um, really important. One of the things about working in the public service that I think is fantastic from a career point of view is you've got the capacity and opportunities often to work in different departments. So... Um, I think certainly for someone in my role to have some experience of different departments and different functions of government is really valuable. I mean, I came into this role with an understanding of some departments and some functions of government better than others and very little understanding of others. And I've learnt a huge amount about how government works across the board. So a variety of different experiences across the public service and indeed at the private sector is valuable. Um, I think certainly... Um, Harnessing all of that experience and turning it into um, making you a really versatile, skilled, flexible sort of person uh, is really important in terms of presenting yourself for this sort of role.
0: At the beginning of your career or even throughout your career, were there any particular uh, areas where you sort of you either struggled or had challenges um, uh, within your career and how did you overcome those issues? So maybe it was like with decision making, if you wanted to move from one role to the other... Or um, maybe, like you mentioned earlier, that there was a lot of men who were in economics as well, potentially finding um, uh, someone who represented you or who uh, was a role model for you? Well, look, um, to be
1: honest, not really. I I think I just, uh, I mean, you always have periods in your career where you look back and you think, I really loved that job and I didn't like that job so much. But to be honest, if I didn't particularly like a role or a job, I I went and did something else. Mm -hmm. So I managed to, you know, work within the system to get myself put somewhere else. So um, I think the key thing is if you're not happy in a job and you don't think you're able to give it your all for whatever reason and and you don't think that it's actually something that really suits your ability and skills, then try and move into a role that, that does there's nothing worse uh, than being unhappy at work, nothing worse. Um, you've really got to uh, make sure that, that you, you don't drive to work or, or travel, get on the train in the morning and, and dread going into work. Um, you've really got to try and find a job where, it, if you're fortunate, you can actually be happy as well as be productive and make a contribution.
0: Absolutely. So essentially just being very proactive about what you want, understanding your own values, understanding where it is that you want to be, and making decisions uh, around it. Yes, I think so. And
1: not put it, if, if you're not happy, take a a, a, um, a spot check to say, hey, I'm not really happy in this role. I need to do something about it. And then think you know, logically about what alternatives there are. Sometimes it involves doing some training. Sometimes it involves a lateral move at the same level. Whatever. Um, just put yourself in a role which really can demonstrate your value and where you feel that you can make a contribution. Because... If you feel you're making a contribution to an organisation or a particular role, that's when you'll really do your best. That's when you'll come into into, um, uh, into demonstrating your, your value at, in, in, you know, to the maximum.
0: So one of the common questions I like to ask my guests is about their personal definition of success and whether or not they find themselves successful. So what is your definition of success, Anna?
1: Well, I was thinking
0: about this question, Helena, because you gave me an Ah,
1: on it. <laughs> it's thought, a tough one. <laughs> I thought, actually, when I started my career, my definition of success would have been quite different to now. I would have seen success back in those days through the prism of what level was I in the public service, what salary did I have, whatever, you know, those sorts of uh, metrics, I guess. Whereas today, when I think about success, um, and I think, to me, being success is having a job, where you can make a tangible contribution to people's lives or improving a business environment, and at the same time, you find it rewarding and challenging, and you actually enjoy it, and you're able to also enjoy work-life balance. Now, I probably wouldn't have said that 20 years ago because I tended to have jobs, particularly in the Federal Parliament when I was working as an advisor up there where you didn't have work-life balance. Um, and, uh, and, you know, that was fine, that was, that was the time, that was, that was what you did and, and you understood that and in some ways probably quite enjoyed it. Whereas these days I think of success quite differently as I've just described and uh, to me I, I feel that in my mind I, I have been successful in the sense that I have a job where I think I do deliver tangible improvements to, to people's lives and businesses that I find challenging and interesting and something that I, I feel that I can do reasonably well, but also that um, enables me to have some work-life balance as well because I think actually that makes you a better, uh, a better employee. Uh, probably a view I wouldn't have had 20 or so years ago, but certainly I feel that having that more rounded life means that you make a better contribution.
0: And do you think that at the time, so let's say 20 years ago, it was just the... Um the environment that made you feel as though you needed to be present and to be working quite, you know, quite hard to be able to achieve what you want? Or is it, is it that I'm trying to ask that if times are changing or if your personal perspective is changing or if it's both?
1: I think it's probably both. I mean, in that world, in, in Parliament House in Canberra, uh, in, the, in the early 90s, you know, it, it, you know, as it is now, it's an intense world, it's a challenging world, it's demanding... Uh, you do work long hours uh, there's a, there's a culture about working long hours as well, uh, and there's certainly an element of presenteeism. i mean it would I can't imagine ringing up my boss back in those days saying I was working at home one day. that just wouldn't it, didn't, it just didn't work in in a parliamentary environment where you' where you really need to be present so so it was a different different type of world. Um, and obviously today, in the job I have at the moment, um, there is much greater scope to be flexible and for the staff to have flexibility. And that's a great thing. But I also think there is also a need for people to be present, you know, um, at least for some of the time, because you, it's important to have human contact and eye contact and, and so on. There's some things that, that um, are best done face-to-face. And I think that's a really important part of work as well, that you actually go to a place where you're with your team, you're interacting with them. Even if every now and then you might work from home for an afternoon or a day or whatever, it depends on the type of work. I find if I'm having to do some sort of thinking type work, sometimes I can do it better at home. Um, On the other hand, um, the sorts of work, most of of my work is actually interacting with other people, other departments, and obviously I'm in the office to do that.
0: And I can, I can vouch for um, in terms of having people around you who are working on similar things, having someone just to, you know, flick your chair around across and ask them a particular question rather than sending an email waiting for a response or calling them or whatever else. So that presence within the office and establishing those relationships with people and knowing that you can rely on them to either deliver a piece of work or, you know, inform you on something relatively quickly and, um, and quite clearly, like, I, yeah. So there is that element of you know, necessity of being in the workplace Providing a, a closer relationship with your colleagues as well, so um, I quite appreciate that. Um, so you touched on flexibility, so flexibility in the workplace, and the Victorian Public Service has adopted all roles flex policy, and a lot of other organisations are also encouraging their leaders to be more flexible and also showing their um, that they themselves work flexibly. Also, in terms of um, your experience with staff who work flexibly, how has the commission um, adapted to people who work flexibly?
1: Um, I think the nature of the work we do here is actually quite, uh, consistent with, um, flexible working. Uh, our work by and large is reasonably predictable in terms of timelines. Um, our workload is, uh, The timelines, the deadlines for work are are usually quite predictable and that means that you can work backwards and you know when you need to have meetings with people, you know when you need to interact and so on. So presenteeism, although I think it's important to have the team here um, a lot of the time together um, and I think it's really important for cohesiveness and and effectiveness that we we are all present uh, at some particular times. I think there is also scope, and and my t- my staff take advantage of it to to work more flexibly um, with the technology that we have. We've just had these Surface Pros rolled out, and oh. they've made a big difference oh. to our ability to work off, you know, out of the office and so on. Um, one of the other things we're doing with the staff here is um, often our work, our, a lot of our work involves working closely with other departments. Um, when we're when we're doing particularly intense work with with other departments, given the the new technology that we have, the staff can actually go and work in that department for a while. They can go and, you know, co-locate and yeah. um, sit at a desk and, and actually work with the people that they're developing, um, you know, regulatory impact statements oh, with or whatever. So so, so it is quite... So we're able to do that much more than uh, than previously. I think, as I said, I think... Um, Some jobs, some organisations lend themselves to flexibility more easily than others. There are areas where I can imagine it is difficult to ensure flexibility for everyone um, uh, in terms of some workplaces. But where possible, I think it's obviously something that that we all encourage um, in, in the Victorian government, certainly. And that comes from the top. I mean, I know our Secretary, David Martin, has been very embracing of and supportive of flexible working. Um, and ensuring that his staff have got the, the capacity through technology and so on to, to be able to take advantage of that. But, look, it's about having common sense and judgment about it. There are times when we all need to be at our desks and in the office for, for whatever reason. Um, and I would hate to think that somebody rang and there was no-one here to answer the question. <laughs> of course, you know, you, yeah. <laughs> you really have to manage those sorts of things. So... Um, so yes, I mean I think I think it's really important to encourage it. It's really important to ensure that all employees, not just women, have access to flexible working. Um, but it's got to be done uh, within the bounds of running an effective and efficient organisation as well.
0: Absolutely. So we were talking earlier about your uh, your career and how you got into economics. In terms of either encouraging or increasing women in. Uh, in the workforce or even in economics itself, like what sort of things can we do to make women more visible in economics and in government or even just to retain women within the workforce?
1: Uh, well, I think in terms of retaining women, um, given uh, family responsibilities and so on, which often fall on women disproportionately, then obviously flexible working is a, has a big role to play in that. Um, ability to offer part-time work, Ability to offer flexible working makes a huge difference in terms of of, uh, retention of women. In terms of encouraging women to participate in hitherto male-dominated environments, I think positive role models are really important. Uh, Mentoring is is really valuable. Um, I've been involved in mentoring for quite a few years now, um, and I really see it as a way in which you can help build um, uh, people's capacity and confidence uh, it's not about being an advocate for for um, for someone and saying, oh, "I'll ring your boss and sort that issue out for you." That's not what mentoring is about at all. It's really about ensuring that they can um, they can think about their career uh, in in a, in a positive and, and effective way, and not be um, not feel dissuaded from things because of, of cultural issues or whatever. It's really about helping give them confidence to. To set themselves on a career path and do career planning and think about those options about training and studying and so on that can sort of help the help them uh, strengthen their career. Um, but I think in terms of the women, uh, ensuring women participate in organisations like this and, and like the Essential Services Commission and so on, which have been male-dominated, obviously positive role models are important, obviously, proactive. Uh, engagement by management about flexibility and those issues is vital and I think mentoring has a really important role to play. I think the more that we see other women being successful in the organization is important but I think also women um, helping other women and other other male staff too uh, is a really important uh, factor as well.
0: So essentially um, that is also about representation so being able to see yourself in those roles um, and being able to see that you know there there is a place for women within leadership roles in regulatory organizations or in in whatever various organizations
1: yeah certainly well. I mean I think across the across the Victorian public service we've, we' you know there's quite a lot of senior women now and um, and there's there's quite um, active networks of women in the public service and in economics and I'd certainly encourage um, uh, women who want to 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 um, pursue careers in the public service to take advantage of those they're they're, you know um, they're not the be all and end all but they can be a useful way of understanding how other departments work and how other women think.
0: absolutely so just coming on to our last couple of questions i really appreciate your time so just in terms of advice so probably the last couple of questions would be what is the best advice that you have received and also what advice would you give yourself earlier in your career okay um I guess
1: the best result, best advice
0: I've ever received
1: over my career is, and I've had this from a number of bosses I've had, which is really to ensure that you really enjoy your job. Because if you do, you're going to make a really good contribution. So if you're lucky enough to be able to position yourself uh, in such a way that you, can, you do a job that you feel skilled for, you feel trained for, you feel enabled, to do and you're supported by your colleagues and your management and you like it that's terrific that's a great that's a great combination of factors and if you're not in a world like that then try and get at least some of those factors happening for you and be proactive about it so I think that's that was really valuable advice that I got early on and um and I'm very lucky that uh, where I sit now I've actually been able to um to use that advice and and to get myself to a, to a place where I feel really comfortable in terms of my career.
0: That's wonderful. Um, thank you so much, Anna. We've um, I've really appreciated this discussion, and your insights are invaluable as always. Oh, well, it's a pleasure, Helena. Thank you.